Good morning, brethren and sisters. Our work this week, as in the introduction given yesterday, will cover the work of the Messiah. You will recall that in the introduction I said that sin and iniquity are not to triumph forever. Sacrifices will have an end. Shadows and types are to vanish away. Death is to be swallowed up in life. Crying and tears are to be wiped away forever. And trials and sorrows will pass into oblivion. Briefly, that is the work of the Messiah which we will consider these, this week. I'd like you to turn, and I hope you all have your Bibles ready and some notebooks. The first passage of scripture that we are going to consider is Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. I will read these two verses. Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And we will stop there just exactly as Jesus did in the fourth chapter of Luke, where he introduced his ministry by quoting these words from Isaiah, where we read in the 16th to the 21st verse of the fourth chapter of Luke, We read these words. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I would like you to note now that there are several points enumerated in these two scriptural references. In Isaiah, it is said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That's one. Two, he was anointed to preach good tidings. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. By comparison, all of these are repeated in Luke, but with one exception. 
in Isaiah, nothing is said about the recovering of sight to the blind, which is given in Luke. That is Jesus' words and Isaiah's words of what his work consisted. Our work this week in considering the work of the Messiah will be found in the book of Daniel. And if you will turn over to Daniel chapter 9, we are going to read several verses in that chapter. Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading at the 20th verse, and I will read to the end of that chapter. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 to the end. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy city. This verse, the 24th verse, is the one around, is the scriptural passage around which all of our consideration of the work of the Messiah will be centered. So it's, this is the key verse for our consideration this week. And he says, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The city, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Our work this week will be centered around Daniel 9 and 24.
There are six points in your authorized version, which I believe most of you have, which will occupy us this week. One, and they, they will be considered in this sequence. One, to finish the transgression. <coughs> Two, to make an end of sins. Three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Five, to seal up the vision and prophecy. And six, to anoint the most holy. Now this follows the sequence that they are given in your authorized version. Now for your help information, I have considered Young's literal translation. And following the same sequence which I have given you, which is in the authorized, Young's makes this difference in the translation with the authorized. The first one is to shut up the transgression. The second, to seal up sins. The third, to cover iniquity. The fourth, to bring in righteousness, age during. Fifth, to seal up vision and profit. Sixth, to anoint the holy of holies. I have also considered this from the Septuagint version. The same verse. <coughs> there is a little difference in the Septuagint in the sequence given. Now the first one in the Septuagint is for sin to be ended. That corresponds to the second in the authorized. The second in the Septuagint to seal up transgressions which is identical to the first in the authorized. Third, and this one is not in the authorized or in any other version that I have considered, to blot out iniquities. That is the difference in the Septuagint. The fourth one in the Septuagint, to make atonement for iniquities, which corresponds to the third in the authorized. The fifth, to bring in everlasting righteousness, which corresponds to the fourth in the authorized. Sixth, to seal the vision and profit. Seventh, or which corresponds to our sixth, is to anoint the most holy. Now we'll consider the first one which is given in the sequence in the authorized version. That is, in the authorized version, it reads, to finish the transgression. In the revised version, it reads identically the same. In the Septuagint, it reads, to seal up transgressions. In Young's, it reads, to shut up the transgressions. Transgression. The Masoretic text, which is a Hebrew text, it reads, to finish 
the transgression. And in Rotherham's, to put the, an end to the transgression. Now you have there, I have given you six different versions of this same scriptural passage. The reason for it is to search the scriptures and find and make sure that there is a parallel meaning attached to the scripture we are considering. Now there are two important words in this to finish the transgression. The first word we are considered is transgression. And in the original Hebrew, as it is given in Young's concordance, the original word for transgression is P-E-S-H-A, Pesha. And it means literally rebellion, rebellion. Finish. The original word is kala, K-A-L-A, and its literal meaning is to shut, to restrain, or to finish. These literal meanings are used through the scriptures. They are used in many different places to give us the fine distinction that the original writers used in giving to us the scriptures which we have. Now will you turn over with me to Acts, seventh chapter. Acts, the seventh chapter. And we will read verses nine and ten. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, and delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. I'd like you to note, there's one word in there which means a lot in our consideration of our subject this morning. That word is envy. What is envy but rebellion against God's right ways? That is what envy is. Now, we may use the word envy. We will envy our neighbor or we'll envy the Joneses because of what they have. That is not rebellion. That is jealousy. We are jealous of what our neighbor or the Joneses have, which we don't have. But we must consider these words from the scriptural standpoint, not from Webster's standpoint as far as human reasoning is concerned. Envy is rebellion against God's right ways. Not man's right ways, God's right ways. And this is important. This is the start of rebellion, which is the scriptural meaning of transgression. This is the start. 
Uh, we could also read, and I don't want to do too much reading because you can read this at your leisure, but will you make, the, make a note in this same chapter of Acts? Will you make a note of verses 23, 4, 5, 7, 35, 36, 37, 38, and 39 to 43. In other words, these, this passage of scripture that I'm giving, giving to you now is from, is the inspired words of the first martyr to Christianity. It's Stephen's words. It's not mine. It's Stephen's words, and we will consider very carefully verses 51 through 53, which I will read. Now, Stephen had, had a marvelous understanding of the history of Israel. And he said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. That is the final trial of the Jewish nation. They received the law at the disposition of angels and they did not keep it. That fulfilled a passage which is given, I believe I have it here, in three places, in the parable of the vineyard. We will consider it a little bit later. You will recall that when Jesus was on the earth, he made these comments to his listeners in a parable of the nobleman that went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return, who gave to his servants certain work to be done, and his subjects over whom he was going to reign when he returned, sent a message after him, we will not have this man to reign over us. Brethren and sisters, the nation of Israel sent that message after Christ when Stephen made his defense, they said, we will not have this man to reign over us. That's the final trial of the Jewish nation until the Messiah comes to make an end of transgressions. When you turn over to Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, there are two verses which are very important. Verse 
Verse 5 and verse 8. The reason that I am bringing these passages to your, for your consideration is that I do not wish you to take my word for what we are discussing this week, but take the infallible word to prove the points concerning the work of the Messiah. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. And let me bring this to your attention. These passages which I have selected carry the same meaning that we gave you for the word transgression. The, the original is used in the identical manner. He was wounded for our rebellion. rebellion is, reads just exactly the same thought as to read for our transgression. Because he's speaking, Isaiah is speaking to the Jews. He was bruised for our iniquities. We'll come back to iniquities later. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was taken, in the verse 8, from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. Why? For the transgression or rebellion of my people was he stricken. Now these, this meaning, the original meaning, is used identically as far as we can determine from Young's Concordance, using the, going back to the original words, this has the same identical meaning as does in Daniel. Now the passage that I referred to was in Luke 19, verses 11 to 14. And verse 14 was fulfilled in Stephen's death. You can read that at your leisure. Now will you turn over to Hosea. Hosea chapter 4 I'm going to read part of the first six verses Hosea chapter 4 beginning at verse 1 Hear the word of the Lord ye children of Israel for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Remember who he is talking to. Because there, and this is the reason why he hath the controversy. Because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish, with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. And verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because they, thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Thou shalt have no priest to me. 
seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. And note in verse 6 that it is a sinful nation and people in verse 6. And the reason why they were destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now if there is any point to be taken in our consideration of this, let us give heed that knowledge and study are required of God's people in his sight if we would be workmen rightly dividing the word of God who will not be ashamed in his sight. There is no greater study that can be engaged in than the study of God's word. It means everything to you and I. It is our eternal well-being. I would also like you to note in Hosea, while we are in this book, chapter 5 and verse 15. And here is, this is a continuation of the other verses which we have read. This is the Almighty returning his answer to the Jews. He said, I will go and return to my place, how long? Till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they shall seek me early. In Hosea 3 and 5. Hosea 3, verses 4 and 5. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, and without terror. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness when in the latter days. Now the reason for all this trouble that has come upon God's chosen people is the lack of knowledge. It is only the remnant that are going to be saved. Let's not us fall into the same pattern for lack of knowledge. Now you could, many other thoughts we have, and there's many other readings that we have. But we are all considering what Daniel meant when he said and recorded for us to finish the transgression. Now the transgression of Israel or Daniel's people is to be finished as part of the work of the Messiah. It is to be finished. It's to be brought to an end. If you'll read in Deuteronomy chapter 31, <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 31 
and verses 14 to the end. Our time is, is running out. I want to use the last 10 or 15 minutes for an open discussion period about, and I ask you to re, um, maintain your questions and the discussion about the subject material which we have considered in this assembly. Let's uh, not go into something that is ahead of us. Because if, it, if we do, I will uh, say, well, we'll consider it later. But let's retain our discussion about this particular subject. In Deuteronomy, I'm going to ask you, to, this is part of your homework, reading the 14th to the end of that chapter, Deuteronomy 31. I want to call your attention to verse 16 in this same chapter. And you'll notice that this chapter begins with a warning that Jehovah gives to Moses of the apostasy of Israel when they would turn away from their God. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whether they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be uh, kindled against them, and I will forsake them, and will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they shall say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought, in that they have turned unto other gods. Now therefore, write ye this song, this is speaking to Moses, write ye this song, and teach it to the children of Israel, Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness against for me against the children of Israel, when he has brought them into the land. And Moses wrote the song, which is part of your reading, the 32nd chapter of this book. This is the song that you will read, which Moses wrote as a witness for Jehovah, against the children of Israel before Moses even died. There we have in these, this chapter what Moses is telling Israel what they will do. And brethren and sisters, the question always comes up when they have this testimony. Why? Oh, why didn't they read it and heed it? What's the reason? The reason is rebellion. It is the transgression that, or the rebellion against the Almighty that they didn't pay attention to it. There's no other reason for it. And if you will read from Judges to Ezekiel, you will note Israel's transgressions continuously through all that period of time. 
their transgression or their rebellion against the Almighty. It's a sad commentary to a people chosen by the Almighty to be a peculiar nation to him that they had the word of God and they didn't give heed to it. Well, the same thing applies to us. We have the word of God. Let us not fall into the same pattern of rebellion. Let us give heed to these things. Study them. Now there's several other passages and then we will uh, we will not be able to read all of these. But if you will mark these down, consider the parable of the vineyard. Luke 20, verses 9 to 18. I'd like you to mark this down. Verses 9 to 18 of the 20th chapter of Luke. And note particularly verses 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Note those five verses particularly out of this reference. Then Mark, the same parable is given in Mark 12, verses 1 to 12. And note particularly verse 12. It is also given in Matthew 21, verse 33 to 46. And note particularly verses 41 to 46. Now this is for our consideration what this parable means and what it means on account of the sin of my people. And I'm going to read as the closing passage for our discussion this morning. I don't know why I know that my time is beginning to run, but I'm going to draw this to a con conclusion as far as I'm concerned, and then we're going to open it for discussion. This is in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, which we will read. Now will I sing to my be well beloved. Maybe I have a little part. Isaiah 5. The first seven verses. Now I, will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. Where did Jesus turn for the scripture concerning his parable of the vineyard? He turned 
right to this same passage, the fifth chapter of Isaiah. Brethren and sisters, how many of us have noticed when we consider the Jesus' words and his works, how often he turned to Isaiah, how often he turned to the Psalms. It seems as though all of his ministry, all of his work, was related in the scriptures of truth. That wasn't the New Testament. That was the Old Testament. That was the only scriptures of truth. And how often he turned back to show that he came not to destroy, but to fulfill. Note here, he planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it. He made a wine press there, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, fruit, unto righteousness and holiness. And it brought forth wild grapes. So he continues, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. And he asks the question, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it, done in it? What more could the Almighty have done for the nation of Israel than what he did? He gave them prophets, he gave them wise men, he raised up leaders for the nation, and what did they do? It was one continuous rebellion or transgression against the law of their God. It was just continuous. There was nothing else. It's a sad commentary to the nation of Israel. And so he said, what, more, what could have been done more to my vineyard than that I have done in it? The Almighty, his forbearance and his love for his nation which he chose, which were chosen because of the fathers, is beyond comparison, it is infinite, what he did for them. And no wonder, when he looked for fruit, there was nothing but wild grapes. Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, behold, it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell thee what I will do to my vineyard. Now this is Jehovah's answer, what he will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Judah, and the men of Judah, the house of Israel, and the men of Judah, his present pleasant plant. He looked for judgment, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Isaiah is very plain. He doesn't mince matters in what he says to the concerning Israel. And it all centers around the fact 
that the time was drawing near when this must come to an end. The law of Moses was given for a definite purpose, to show unto my people their transgression. Now, in this same verse, note in the same chapter, note in verse 8, woe, notice it, woe, skip down to verse 11, woe. Skip to verse 18. Woe. And notice here he says, Woe to them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. That's very plain language. Very plain. Note also verse 20. Woe to them. And this can be said of the Gentiles today. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. How many of us feel the sting that when we do good, we are evil spoken of? How many of us know it? Know it? All you have to do is be associated in the world with your associates and find out what they say of those who do right. They speak evil of you. If you haven't experienced it, you will. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse 21. Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Verse 22. Woe to them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. What did Jesus say concerning these days? Even as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the days of the Son of Man. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's what's going on today. That's what's going on all over the world today is this turning away, putting to one side God's word and his work. It was brought to its perfection, if we can call use such a term, and it is recorded for our instruction concerning Israel, that out of all of this trouble, they didn't give heed. But let us take hope and rejoice in this. God is not going to be mocked. His word is not going to return unto him void. It shall prosper in the thing whereto he sent it, and it shall accomplish that which I please. And so the trans part of the work of the Messiah was to finish the transgression and the crowning rebellion, the crowning transgression of my people, which was what was spoken to Daniel, because it was said, you'll notice in the, the verses that we read, what was concerning thy people in the latter days, 
and Daniel made intercession for his people. It is to the Jews. This part of the work of the Messiah has to do with the Jews. The crowning transgression or rebellion of the uh, Jews against the Messiah or against the Almighty, they rejected the beloved son, the heir to the throne of David. We will have no king but Caesar. And what a lot of woe and trouble and sorrow and grief has come upon those people because of transgression and rebellion against the Almighty. This is the first part of the work that the Messiah came to do to finish it. Now, through the remaining time, if you have any questions or any comments, I have not considered all the passages that can be brought up. There are many, many more. But this has been given to stimulate our thinking along these lines of what the Messiah was sent to do. He had a great work to accomplish, and he finished it to every jot and tittle. Now, does anyone have any? Yes. You may say on that, that when they crucified the Messiah, that that was the finishing of their transgression, that is the greatest thing they I'm going to re repeat your question so that it'll be on the record. I believe you're, if I state it rightly, that the the final crown of their transgression was when they crucified the Messiah. That's your question. The well, final. And do they have? Will they ever do anything any worse? Could could they do anything any worse? <laughs> they couldn't do anything any worse. If you will read. I gave you three references on the parable of the vineyard. Last of all, I will send unto them my beloved son. They will reverence him. Did they? They cut him off. That was the end. They couldn't do anything worse than reject and cut off the beloved son of the Almighty. You so could. That's right. And they won't see him. And they won't see him again. I gave you a passage in Hosea. It was uh, Hosea. I believe it was uh, Hosea chapter three, verses four and five. Yes, Hosea three, verses four and five. Did they were they to be blamed? They had the words of the prophet. The prophets told them all of these things. They were all there written beforehand. They didn't read. They didn't hear. Jesus said. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, they will not hear if one rose from the dead. Yes? Uh, in this uh, fourth verse, the third text of Hosea, uh, they give me a day without king, without prince, without sacrifice, without image, and without the ephod and the What does the image refer to? How would that refer to Christ? The image? Yes. Let's see, I have to get this. That's in the third chapter of Hosea, wasn't it? Well, I'm going to ask uh, ask some of our brethren down here if they would like to offer some comments. And I know there's some here now. Let's uh, let's have some comments on what 
the thoughts are concerning this image. Well, I think that's just as good a, as good a reason as could possibly be given. Uh, pardon? Well, it, it could apply there too. The, uh, the, the same thing could apply there. Because during different periods of the Israel's history, see, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, they had the cherubims overshadowing the mercy seat. Now, we're going to speak more particularly about the mercy seat in one of our later considerations. So I'm not going to uh, go too far into that now. Uh, just a moment. Yes? Well, the answer was given that could it not be considered that it was the mercy seat? Now, there might, uh, that isn't the only answer. There might be others. But that, that is what I feel that it, uh, there was a very reasonable answer to it. Yes? Uh, your comment on Isaiah 4.20, where it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and that put darkness for light and light for darkness, and that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, uh, you drew a parallel there as though this is the reaction that a believer can experience from the Gentile world. But Isaiah is writing to his own people. That's right. And so really the true parallel is that uh, your most conscientious brethren in spiritualism are going to be despised, hated, persecuted by their brethren, more so, I believe, than the Gentiles out among where we were. They don't understand us, and so we more or less expect that. Well, I didn't want, to, didn't want to make it quite so plain as you did. Well, I think if we refuse to face this thing, that uh, we're, we're avoiding the real issue. Now, over in Isaiah, the 58th chapter, Isaiah uh, says to his people, now this is not the Gentiles, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people, that's not Gentile, that's children, show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. Now, if you speak out the spiritualism and tell them in exhortation their sin, let me tell you, I, you, you become an Isaiah, a Jeremiah, and whatnot. So, so don't feel, don't take this parallel and say the Gentiles. Keep well, this in the household, you'll be much closer to the it, That is very true, and I'm glad you brought that out. Sometimes it is better that uh, someone from the floor brings these points out than for me to get up here and say it. <laughs> because I believe it. I believe that condition will prevail. We have, we have got a condition in the, in the household that is not good, brethren and sisters. It is not good. Most brethren will tell you that they have suffered more bitter humiliation and persecution from inside than they ever thought on the outside. And it's pitiful to say that, but the prophets can tell you the same thing. And Jesus himself suffered much more from his people than he ever did for the Gentiles. He said, what does he say? These are the wounds that I received? The house of people expected His friends. All right, now this is the true picture of that. We know the Gentiles have a, have a darkened idea, and we know that we'll get a certain amount of this type of thing from them. But the real hurt comes when you get slaughtered right in the household. That's, that's true. I, I They kill their prophets. The, the, the Jews did this to their people. I know. And every one of the prophets is a pitiful commentator, and every one of the men that did the most harm are the ones that were hated and despised. Even the, the ones that ever talked with the people were the ones that spoke the smooth thing. That's right. Go back to the old ways. Yes. I'll take, yes. Christ uh, 
papers to trade. He wasn't betrayed by outside. He said, my own tremendous friend. That's right. That's right. And Judas kissed him on the cheek to show it to the people there uh, who it was that was the uh, one that they were after. They wouldn't have known otherwise. No. Someone had to betray him, and it was his own household that did it. That's right. Well, now, uh, these things are written for our instruction. These things were written in the Law and the Prophets for Israel's instructions. God didn't leave them blind. He didn't leave them without telling them what was going to take place. He told them. They were told clearly and plainly. And I don't think that we have any question about what the transgression of my people, what it was that Jesus was part of the work of, his, of the Messiah, that he came to finish. I have one more question. I believe, uh, Brother Jack, you had a I was going to make a comment. We uh, look at Israel of uh, condemned Israel health because she killed her Messiah. And yet Christ says, you've done it unto the least of these, my brother, and you've done it unto me. Right. I think this is the point that we're trying to make is our relationship with our brother, not to the point of liberality as the world teaches us uh-huh. false love, but sound doctrine, but still love of the brother so it, and relationship and working with the brother in the proper spirit. It's, it's too bad, brethren and sisters, that these things have to be. But I will off, offer this one co- concluding thought. This is the means whereby the true Israel of God are manifested. That's the means whereby they are made known. If you can't take it and, and hold fast to the end, you're not worthy of the crown. One thing we shouldn't lose sight of, and that is the fact that the Scripture tells us that these things are false. We shouldn't be surprised as though some strange thing happens. Right. All they that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. That's right. It's very true. No other way to learn it. Well, we have to learn it. That's what Jesus learned it that way. He learned it just exactly the same way. And I don't believe that we, that any of us are going to be having any any soft way.